All right. Um, let's see. I had a joke about boomerangs, um, but I can't seem to remember. Um, oh, it'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. <laughs> Where's Daniel? Daniel told me that on, was that Wednesday? So there you go, buddy. Yeah, that, that's a... By the way, what do you call a boomerang that doesn't come back? A stick. Yeah, okay. All right, grab your Bibles. Turn to uh, the book of Revelation chapter 3. We're continuing our series on the seven churches of Revelation, which is in Asia Minor. Actually, go ahead and put up that picture of Asia Minor. Um, uh, North Macedonia, by the way, is very close to this region. I was just kind of looking at a map. Um, So modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, this is where the seven churches of Revelation that Jesus um, spoke to John, r- revealed himself to John, and they wrote, he wrote a letter, wrote it down. And so um, we're looking today at the fifth church um, that the risen Lord wrote to, which is the church of Sardis. Okay, now let me ask you a question to kind of kick off today. Have you ever been in a situation where you're driving or you're at work and you can't stay awake? Like you're just... Well, no matter what you do. I remember uh, the first wedding I ever did, it was, uh, it was 2004. And one of my friends, I wasn't, in, I wasn't even in ministry yet, but my friend who lived in South Dakota knew that I was wanting to be in ministry. He was getting married. He's like, hey, will you do, will you officiate our wedding? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'd never done a wedding before, but I'll figure it out, right? That's what this whole thing has been, figuring it out as we go. So um, fake it till you make it, right? Anyway, um, so I'm... I'm you know, got done working, got together some notes and some different things, and I'm driving up to South Dakota, and like, I've got to get there, because the wedding is, you know, soon, and I cannot stay awake. Have you ever been driving, and you're just like, it's, it's a dangerous situation. By the way, you should just pull over. I should just say that. Um, don't risk your lives and lives of other people, but I'm like, I have to get there. So I'm drinking Mountain Dew. I'm, you know, what do you guys do to stay awake? You can roll down the windows. There's a cold air, um, water. Sunflower seeds, that one works good. What else are you guys doing? What's that? Celsius? Energy drink. Okay, yeah, energy drinks are good. So I'm driving there. I'm like, I have to get there. I can't stay awake. And so I pull over at this um, gas station. Now, this is 2004. And I'm like, do I have any, like, awake pills? You know, like, no-dose. And they had this one. I was like, it says it'll keep you awake. I'm like, sure, I'll take it. I took it. That was back when they used to, like, sell ephedrine. Remember that? <laughs> I was up for, like, the next eight hours. Just like, fine. So ephedrine got the job done. They banned it in the na- in, like, nationwide. They banned it in substance, like, that year, 2004. So you can't even get it anymore. But I will say and testify that it worked. <laughs> And then I asked um, in, our, in our first aid kit here at the church, I asked them, like, do we have any of those smelling salts that wake you up? And so I'm going to open this. Let's see. Whoa. Okay, do you just smell it? It doesn't... Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> they uh, apparently give this people if they're, like, unconscious and stuff like that. So why don't we pass this around during the message? We'll just, we, can, we can all... Here, you, we'll start here. Yep, that'll do it. (laughs) Today we're going to read about the church. Oh, this is going to be such a distraction. Wait, okay. 
just hold, you guys smell it and then you hold on to it because otherwise no one will listen to me. Afterwards, y'all can come smell it, okay? <laughs> and I've got more, so don't worry. Don't worry. I've got plenty here. Today, we're going to read about the church that fell asleep on the job. Jesus said to the church, you've, you've fallen asleep. You need to wake up and we can learn something from this church We're going to read in Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 6. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out uh, the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." You may have noticed that the church of Sardis, um, unlike the other churches, Jesus did not give them a sweeping accommodation. There was a pattern of of encouragement, instruction, and um, counsel that Jesus gave to all the churches, and it went like this. There's accommodation, correction, counsel, and crown. But with the church of Sardis, there's a minor accommodation. Um, He he, he highlighted some of theirs. There's some of you who haven't soiled your clothes that walk with me. But I want to remind you that when Jesus speaks to these churches, he speaks to them and encourages them because he loves them and he wants them to do well. Okay. The reason why he speaks to us and speaks into our lives is because he wants you to do well. He loves you. Jesus is more committed to your success than you are. He loves you more than you love yourself. He's more committed to your, your success than you are. We're going to get there in a couple. We have two more churches after, after Sardis. We have uh, Philadelphia and Laodicea. We'll get there at the, the last message of this series. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But look what, he's, look what he said to the Laodiceans, Revelation 3.19. He says, uh, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. If the Lord has ever corrected you, and I don't know about you, but he's corrected me because um, sometimes I need correction. If the Lord has ever corrected you, it's not to discourage you. It's actually to build you. He doesn't want to bring shame, guilt, condemnation, but he actually wants the best for you and to build you. As as children of God, we actually don't endure punishment. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. But how many know we do endure discipline? Okay, discipline is training, pruning, refining, right? What does Jesus want for us? He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, The Father wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus, so that we would look like, act like, talk like Jesus. How many know that we're training for reigning? Everyone say, training for reigning. Maybe that should be the title of this message. I I made the title, The Walking Dead, Sardis, but say, training for reigning, that's a good one. (laughs) Let me give you a little historical context about this city, the, the church that was in the city of Sardis. Sardis had been called the city of uh, past splendor, but present decay. Jesus' words, wake up, carried a lot of weight 
within this church and within this city. Um, here's why. Jesus, his letter is very much calling into memory um, something that they knew from their history. And here it is. They would not have forgotten this. Um, 700 years before John received this revelation, um, Sardis had, had been the richest city in Asia. Uh, during that time, before the Roman Empire had spread it throughout um, that region, um, the kingdom of Lydia existed. So the kingdom of Lydia, not as big as the Roman Empire, it, um, occupied a particular space. So basically what we're talking about here is the seven churches of Revelation. Lydia was a, a kingdom that occupied that same space. And again, this is 700 years before John wrote this letter. Richest city in Asia. Um, and it basically encompassed Asia Minor. Okay, Sardis was the capital of the kingdom of Lydia. And so we're rewinding the clock um, from the time of John's revelation, about 100 AD, back 650 years, you land, you know, 550 BC. Jesus is calling this memory to attention. Um, The king of Lydia, his name was Cretius. And at that time, he was one of, or probably the wealthiest person in the entire world. He would be like the, I don't know, Elon Musk of, of his day. Gold was so prevalent in that region that deposits, you could literally walk and find deposits of gold uh, in the river that ran through the Hermas Valley that that city was located in. And then more gold would flow down from the hills. So gold was so prevalent, um, you could just find it in the river. The first coins in the history of the world, the first coins in antiquity, were minted um, in Sardis, in this city. And so here's the demise of the city. 546 BC, King Cyrus, who's the king of the Persian Empire. This is the same king that you can read about in your Bible. In fact, your Bible talks about King Cyrus, mentions him over 30 times in your Bible. There's a particular battle that I'm going to talk about that's not in your Bible, but your Bible does talk about King Cyrus. Um, King Cyrus won a few decisive battles to take over Asia Minor. And, but King um, Cretius knew that he had Sardis. He was like, I can always fall back to Sardis. And so he lost a few decisive battles. He's like, I'm going to fall back to Sardis because at that time, his capital city had a stronghold that was 1,500 feet above the valley floor next to it. And it was an amazing stronghold where they knew they could hold out against um, the Persian army. King Cyrus lays siege to the city for 14 days, but he was unable to take the stronghold. They do have two pictures. Okay, they put them up. Um, of, of, you know, it's 1,500 feet above the valley floor there. This is a, nothing, looks nothing like it did um, back during this time. But it was an amazing stronghold, amazing holdout. And so King Cyrus lays siege to this city that was on the top of the hill um, and was an, unable to take it for 14 days. It was thought to be an impregnable fortress. Um, when King Cyrus realized, I can't take the city, even with this massive um, army, with this massive empire, he rewarded, he offered a reward anyone who could find their way into the city, anyone who could figure out a way to get into the city. One day, a young soldier in Cyrus's army was watching the stronghold of Cyrus, and he saw uh, one of the soldiers on top who became careless and uh, dropped his helmet over, over the walls. About an hour later, that, um, that same soldier that dropped his helmet, he, he saw him descending down the very steep slope, retrieved his helmet, and then very carefully reascended to the top. 
He carefully memorizes the pathway that this soldier that this soldier came down, got his helmet, went back up. And that night, with a band of volunteers, they climbed up the mountain, found their way into the stronghold, and everyone was sleeping. Because of a soldier's carelessness, they found the, the one soldier found his way in, and they went up and found everyone sleeping. They were so confident, so sure that their stronghold would protect them, and, and in all respects, it was a very good stronghold, that they actually fell asleep when they should have been watching. They had the whole Persian army surrounding them, and they were all asleep. They snuck into the stronghold, opened the, the door to King, uh, to King Cyrus and to the Persian army, and within a few hours, the whole city had fallen. Jesus says to this church within the city, wake up. You've fallen asleep, and they very much knew the history of their city. 200 years later, Sardis fell again to another army at night because they weren't watching. They weren't paying attention. It is said that the part of the, the city, there was, of course, a, a pathway up to it that had to be guarded heavily because you, they could get up to it. But it is said that the side that was steep that they traversed up, they said that it was so, such a good fortress that a child could have guarded it. A single child could have guarded it, and you, know, you could just throw rocks down at these armies, and they would have never made it up. Think about that. It was such a good fortress, a child could have guarded it, yet they fell asleep and lost their position. They knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said, wake up. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Jesus said to believe in Sardis, you're not keeping watch because you have it too easy. What's your, you have it too easy. You got it too good. Listen, this is a good message for Americans, by the way. You know, we think we're kind of protected by our oceans and relatively speaking, we don't endure a lot of hardship. In fact, we just talking about this um, invasion into Israel. Um, listen, it was a big wake up call for the nation. In fact, when was the Yom Kippur war? That was like 1973. Well, listen, we're right in the Yom Kippur time. It was almost coinciding perfectly with the Yom Kippur War. Listen, their guard was down again. They got too comfortable. They got too confident. And so the message here is stay on guard. Life gets too easy. We let our guard down. And even we're in this uh, unpenetrable fortress, but because of our laziness and our falling asleep, the enemy of our soul wants to take you out and wants to cost you um, so much, your family, your business, your life. You'll notice that Jesus, in this letter to the Church of Sardis, he mentions no specific persecution, no specific demonic, overtly demonic hardships. The other, you know, you've, you've got the Church of Smyrna. They were heavily persecuted church. You've got the Church of Pergamum. They were a church that Jesus said, I know where you live, where Satan dwells. There was massive demonic activity happening. They had huge opposition. To this church, Jesus was like, you fell asleep because it was so good. It was so easy. It was easy to be a Christian in Sardis. <clears throat> William Barclay, a theologian, he said, the tragedy of Sardis was that life was too easy for her. You know, when we raise kids in America, um, life's not very hard. I mean, life can be hard. I know that. We all have our problems, right? But you have to create, I think, in my opinion, artificial hardships. <clears throat> right? 
artificial hardship. Make them do hard things, all right? Make your kids do tough things because life's too easy, and that's how you develop grit. How many know that if you help a butterfly by cutting open the thing, it won't develop the strength it needs to fly? So that's a word for someone out there. Go away, hover mothers. All right. (laughs) Let them fail. Let them struggle. Let them take responsibility. Don't rescue them from every problem. Can I get a witness? Okay. Let's break down the text here. Revelation 3. Wow, I have like hardly any time. Okay, we're going to go as long as I can, but but we've got to get you guys out here at a good time. So. Let's break down the text here. Revelation 3, 1. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We know from Revelation 1, 20, Jesus said he's holding the seven stars. That's talking about the seven pastoral leaders of those churches. What about the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit, as some of the translations say? If you jump ahead to Revelation 5, 6, it's, uh, it talks about um, the seven spirits. It's, John said this, Then I saw a lamb, speaking of Jesus, of course, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. That's a funny-looking lamb. It looks like it's been slain. It's got seven horns, seven eyes. But this is a representation of Jesus. How many know that horns represent authority and dominion? The number seven uh, represents the perfect number, or fullness, or completeness. The picture here is that Jesus has all dominion, all authority, all power has been given to him. <clears throat> and he will be entrusted with all of the kingdoms of the world. Why? Because he's the only one worthy to do it. There will be peace on earth one day when King Jesus rules over the earth. Amen? Because he's the only one with the wisdom to do it. The only one with the knowledge, the wisdom, the know-how, the authority to do it. The seven eyes represent Jesus, uh, the Lord's perfect perception. He has perfect perception, perfect understanding. Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. If the, if the eye is good, the whole body will be good. The sevenfold spirit of God is perfect perception. He's perfect in judgment, perfect in motives. His perception lacks nothing. It's, it's perfect perception. His judgments are perfect. How many know that, depending on when the rapture happens or you believe that's going to happen, how many of the in the, the last days, the church isn't going to be looking at the, if there's believers on earth, they're not going to be looking at the judgments of God saying like, oh no, oh no, no. They're going to say, Lord Jesus, no, your judgments are perfect. You are right. You were just. It is, it is good. Um, but he has perfect perception. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. This is talking about the sevenfold spirit of God. This is clearly Jesus. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and his roots, a branch, uh, will bear fruit. I want you to see this. There's, this is the sevenfold spirit of God. And you can count them with me. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's the sevenfold spirit of God. Jesus possesses all understanding, all wisdom, all has a spirit of counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. It's the sevenfold spirit of God. He's perfect in perception, and it rests on this rests on Jesus. I just want to say this: Jesus is worthy to rule the world because he has perfect wisdom, understanding, knowledge, whatever. But I just want to say this. The one who has perfect perception knows how to run your life. 
give him lordship over your life, lordship over your heart. Um, we had this week in our men's ministry, uh, Craig Huddleston was teaching. Very short message, but he talked about, um, how many know if he's Lord, the word no should not be in your vocabulary, right? We don't tell the Lord no. He says, if, you're his, if he's your Lord, he says, do this, don't do this, stop that, start this. How many know the answer is yes. Like, no shouldn't be in our vocabulary. Okay. Revelation 1, the second part. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What a sobering message to hear from the risen Lord. In other words, he's saying this. Your reputation exceeds your reality. Apparently, this church had a reputation of being vigorous, energetic, dynamic, flourishing, but Jesus said, your, your works, your, um, you're dead. He said, you're dead. What causes a person or a church to lull themselves into thinking they are one thing while in reality they are another? This is a sobering message for a church because here we have this name, City Lights Church, that we're alive, right? Listen, this can happen to churches. You can fall uh, into a place of, of death and be the, the first church of the frozen chosen. Amen? Okay, we don't want to be that. And you can become a believer that was once alive and vigorous, running with Jesus and become dead in your heart. There are four attitudes that threaten to kill any church or any individual. A church is in danger of death when it begins to worship its past. A church is at risk of death when it is more concerned with forms than with life. A church is in danger of death when it loves systems more than it loves Christ. A church is in danger of death when it is more concerned with material things than with spiritual things, with supernatural things. Verse 2, he says this. This is Jesus' counsel. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Jesus says, if you're alive, that would be displayed in your actions. Your deeds are unfinished. And how many of you know in the book of James, James says, you show me your faith without works. I'm going to show you my faith with, with works. Listen, there's something to that. That if you are a true believer in Christ, you're going to, it's going to be noticeable by the way you live. And Jesus gives them some counsel. He says this, verse 3, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Okay, Jesus tells them three things. Remember, retain, and repent. Remember what you have received. Retain it. Hold it firmly. Hold firmly what you have and repent where you need to repent. Change your thinking. Some translations say, remember how you have received. Remember how you have received. And how many know that sometimes the attitude of how we receive is more important than what we received? He's saying to them, listen, if, you, listen, if you're humble and you're hungry, that is an attitude of receiving. If you get an attitude of um, not humble and lazy and not eager for the things of God, how many know that's, that's a bad attitude to have? So, he, so some translations actually say, remember how you have received. It is an, an, an attitude and a posture of humility and hunger the Lord wants us to have. The Christians in Sardis had become too comfortable. There's no persecution, no overt spiritual attacks. Probably covertly, and I think this is a spirit that we deal with in America, covertly there was demonic spirit uh, lulling them to sleep. That's maybe a, the spiritual attack in many of us. How many know when you're driving your car and you start falling asleep? Like that's the spiritual attack I think many times that we deal with here in the United States. There's so many things to lull us to sleep. 
They were wealthy and well-fed. Being a Christian's artist was too easy. There was no sacrifice needed. Jesus is telling them and to us, snap out of your spiritual haze, the dullness um, that's coming on you. Because you've, you're not realizing what's going on in the spirit realm. They were dull in hearing because they were too comfortable. Verse 3, Jesus says this, But if you, do not, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. I will come like a thief. Jesus mentions this a couple times in Scripture. I'm coming to you like a thief. This could possibly be a reference to uh, the, the second coming of Jesus or the rapture of the church. Um, uh, regardless, look what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 42 through 44. This is a word for all of us. He says this, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. Verse 44, so you must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. A lot of people talk about like looking for the signs of Jesus, like when's he coming? Well, one thing we know for sure is, is he's, gone. he's not going to come when we think he's going to come. Amen. And we need to be ready for the return of our Lord Jesus. And we, we will live better. We will live cleaner. We will live more holy if we live in anticipation of a second coming, whether we see that or not in our lifetimes. So whether you go in the rapture or you go in death, it'll likely happen at a time where you don't, aren't expecting it. None of us really know the day or the hour that we're going to go be with the Lord. For sure, we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. And, and most of us have no idea. You know, if you're in your 90s, you're like, well, I got more life behind me than before me, you know. Um, but no one of us really know, and we have to live ready. Jesus was telling this church, you're not ready because you're sleeping. To stay awake in the natural, we need caffeine, sunflower seeds, cold water. I got to get some of these for my next road trip. <laughs> right? What do we need to stay awake in the spirit realm? Let me give you just a couple keys to here today. Verse 4, he says this, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. How many know that if you're like sitting on your couch and you're holding a drink in your hand and you fall asleep, it's really easy to soil your clothes. Okay? When we fall asleep, when, we, when we're not manning our post, listen, we all have a post. Each of us have a post to man. Amen? We're not man that post. We, we can get to the place where we um, soil our clothes. What do we need to do? Well, let me, let me show you this. The word here, they will walk with me. Whenever I read this, I kept saying, they walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The word will there, um, I just kind of kept skipping over it. And I thought to myself, well, what, is the, what does the Greek say? The Greek doesn't necessarily have the word will. They actually put the word will walk as one word. And then um, that word... In the Strong's, it's um, Strong's 40.23. That word is used 95 times in the New Testament. And it's, it, never, um, it never says will walk. It just says walk. And so I actually think, again, I'm taking some liberty here because I'm not a Bible translator. So the translators have inferred that Jesus is speaking of a future event. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. Well, how many know I believe that's true? We will walk with Jesus in heaven dressed in white because he has made us worthy. But how many know that you can walk with Jesus now, dressed in white, because he's made you worthy. Amen? And if you realize the righteousness 
of God in Christ Jesus, that he has given us the gift of righteousness. We're not worthy because we made ourselves worthy. We are worthy because of the blood of Jesus. And if you remember the, the, the robes of righteousness that he has given us, we're not trying to be good enough for God. We're living from heaven to earth. Amen. And so I think the lesson here is walk with Jesus, knowing who you are in Christ Jesus, knowing the righteousness he's given you, knowing the power he's given you. If you think you're powerless, how many know you're going to act powerless? If you think you're something, how many know you're going to act like something? Amen. And you are something because of what the Lord did for you. They walk with me because they are worthy. But how many know this? Before you fall asleep, you have to stop walking. And then you have to sit down. And then you have to lay down. There's a progression that happens here. This church didn't fall asleep, I was going to say overnight. I guess they probably did fall asleep overnight, like many of us. (laughs) They didn't fall asleep right away. There was a process to their falling asleep. Jesus is like this. If you want to keep from falling asleep, keep walking with Jesus. The ones who hadn't swelled their clothes, they were, what were they doing? They were walking. They were moving forward, knowing what he has done and is doing through you. Let me ask you a question. Uh, they used to say it like this a lot. Another believer's talking to you like, hey, how's your walk? They're asking, how's your relationship with you? How's your walk? How's your walk with the Lord? Let me ask you a question this morning. How's your walk? Has your walk become a stand? Has your walk become a sit? Has your walk become a nap? How is your walk? Listen, Jesus is going somewhere. And how many know that not everything we do is what Jesus is doing? But I don't know about you, but I want to walk parallel with Jesus. And wherever he's walking, I want to walk parallel with him. I'm like, yep, we're going here. We're going here. Listen, Jesus is over here doing some things, and some of us are over here doing other things, okay? <clears throat> says this in Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Notice the progression here. Or stand in the way of sinners. Or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Okay, this is the person who has chosen to continue walking with Jesus. They're not going to stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. They're going to keep moving forward. Amen? See, I bet if you've ever been pulled off from the path, it's because you stopped walking with Christ, stood with sinners, sat with mockers, and fell asleep. But Jesus is walking. By the way, if you're walking with Jesus, where is Jesus walking? Revelation chapter 1 and 2 says that Jesus is walking. Where is he walking? I want to just point this out to you. I think this is good. Revelation 1.13, Revelation 1.20, and Revelation 2.1 says that Jesus is walking among the lampstands. The lampstands are his churches. Jesus is in the church, y'all. He's walking among the churches. How many know? Yes, he's everywhere at once. He lives in your heart. You can have a relationship with him wherever you go. How many know Jesus is in the church, and we need to be in the church around other believers, being built up and filled up, amen? If you want to keep close to Jesus, walk where he's walking. Stay surrounded and stay in the lampstand just like he is. I'll close with this. Verse 5, he says this. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to give you a, this morning a, a smelling salt 
one key to staying awake in these last times, all right? Here it is. Notice what Jesus said here. He says, the person who's victorious, I will acknowledge before my Father and his angels in heaven. Jesus said this. This is, this is spiritual, uh, spiritual smelling salt right here. Luke 12, 8, and 9. Jesus said this. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Listen, live a public life for Jesus. That is how we walk with Jesus. Don't become a closet Christian. Don't become a private Christian. Become a public Christian, amen? That will refresh your spirit. I'll close with this story. Um, when I was, I had just graduated high school for a few years, and I remember hearing a story of a, of a young man who was um, a wrestler, and I think he went to Arvada West, a wrestler. And there was a lot of news around this young man because he was a wrestler, and he had been undefeated, his whole freshman year, undefeated state champion. Sophomore year, undefeated state champion. Junior year, undefeated state champion. Senior year, undefeated round one, two, three, four, or three of the state championships. Championship round, state championships. Wrestling a guy he'd wrestled before and beat, and he got lazy. And he thought, I'm going to just coast for these last few minutes. This other guy got a takedown on him and won. He lost his last match of his high school career, having been undefeated for four years and took second in state that year. Why? He let his guard down for just a moment. Church, I want to encourage you. God has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for you. But a moment of saying, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to let off the gas. I'm going to dabble a little in this can, can be detrimental to you. You can lose your marriage. You can lose your ministry. You can lose your career. You can lose your life. It is important that we stay awake. We are in this world following Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray and then we'll close. Father, we love you. I thank you for every person in this house, Lord. I thank you for uh, what you've called us to. You wrote this letter to this church because you want them to do well. God, you want us to do well. And God, there are uh, those of us here at times we've drifted and we've fallen asleep, Lord God. And I pray, God, you would stimulate and awake us this morning, Lord God. Would you cause us to walk with Christ everywhere he goes, being vigilant. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen.